Hi guys, welcome back to Shades of Brilliance. I'm your host, Sierra Venable, and I am so glad that you're here. We have the best guest today. You're going to love her. She's one of those people that just has layers and layers and layers of depth, and there's no amount of like 50-minute podcast episodes that will even make sense. We need to have like several episodes (laughs) with her, but I think as an introduction, Oh, you're just going to love her. She's an Aquarius. She's a stylist. We actually met in LA at fashion school. So another fashion school queen and she's authentic. Like I really wanted her early on in this season because of her heart on her sleeve. That is what this podcast is about. We go into themes of culture and identity, our stories about journeying to LA, finding belonging are very similar. And she's goth. We talk all about goth culture as her identity, her self-expression. She debriefs and debunks what it really means to be goth. Like for one, not all goths wear black. That was so new to me in this episode. And I think what you'll find with authenticity is that it is contradictory. We have multiple truths that exist within us at one time. That's the point of this podcast. So while she may not be a super colorful gal, she is living her life in color. I can't wait for you to meet her. Quick disclaimer, we do touch on some themes of substance abuse and we do err more on the side of sobriety, but I do want to give that disclaimer for anyone who might become triggered by those kinds of topics. And it's towards the end. You'll hear it kind of picking up because we talk about LA and party culture, things of that nature. So in no way are we glamorizing substance abuse, um, but it is a quick part of her identity. So we went into it. Without further ado, welcome Lola Sato. So hi, Lola. How are you? Good. I'm good. How are you, Sierra? I'm good. You know, just rocking and rolling. How's life? How's life post-grad? Good. Post-grad, um, honestly, it's good. I think just because I'm able to like kind of chill a little bit more, I think it's a lot less stressful than like school. You know what I mean? Because oh, school sure. is like you have projects and then you finish it and then you have another project right. and then you got to look at the grades and then things like that. But yeah, um, I finished my first ever internship. Um, I think a week ago, two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and it was honestly such an amazing experience. Um, It was at a company called Tiche, and it is a wholesale company. Cool. And I was like their kind of like office slash showroom intern. Let's let's pull back because I want to start with, I mean, let me just say this. You were the most authentic person I met at fashion school. When I interviewed Miguel, I was like, you're the most memorable. And so now I'm giving everybody like their own like acronym. So I'm labeling you most authentic. I am because I'd love to know more about your story and just your journey towards authenticity. Because when I found myself at fashion school, I realized that as creatives, a lot of us are swimming against the grain. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. For sure. Right. And so I feel like with that being said, it's, that's part of why I wanted to interview so many people from my journey is because I feel like all of us are change makers in our own ways, or we're 
you know, speaking out against something, or we've even just gone through so much in our own lives that led us to a creative career. So any thoughts on that? What do you, how does it feel to be labeled most authentic? (laughs) Honestly, it's super flattering. And I gracefully accept that because that is something that I think, you know, I strive to, I guess, be, um, I have no problem telling you like my whole (laughs) story, but yeah, I grew up, well, I was born in Japan. Okay. So I am Japanese. Um, I got a green card and everything like, right. So that's a big part of your identity, right? Yeah, it is. I'm, I've been able to get more in touch with my Japanese side since I've moved out to LA. I moved out to LA, um, around like six years ago. Got it. And then I grew up from like two years old to 18. I grew up in Ohio and I was the only, I was one of the only non-white, my family was the only non-white family in the entire like school district. Oh my goodness. And yeah, so that honestly, I don't want to make it seem like it was super hard because it really wasn't super hard just because I grew up in the same exact place so like people got got used to me got it but then um not to get like political (laughs) or anything oh no 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 please share everything this is all about authenticity and color and life so if it's your truth share it yeah um I think I graduated high school in 2016 and that was the year right that was when the you know Trump obviously was up for election and Mm -hmm. that was when I realized like oh my god our majority of my classmates like racist you know like I had faced microaggression throughout my life like right random questions like oh you're Asian so why aren't you good at math or like do you eat dogs or like things like that and honestly to be completely honest in those moments when I was like you know 13 14 15 I didn't see a problem with any of those questions I was like oh like they don't know like I'm the only Asian person like but then um, come 2016, I'm starting to see the more, I guess, bold racial right. rhetoric that right. they are, you know, fine throwing out. And I distinctly remember it was like two days before my last day of my senior year. And there was a thing called the senior parade where all the seniors got together and they made like floats with their friends. And mm-hmm. they went through the entire like school community, you know, from K through 12, like they paraded around the entire like neighborhood, basically. Oh, wow. And I didn't participate in that. But um, I remember the biggest float was the last one. And it was all the football players. And they had a oh, Donald God. Trump themed float. Oh, they were all wearing the Make America Great Again hats. And they had a Donald Trump cutout. And they were all chan- chanting, build that wall, build that <gasps> wall. And I remember just like looking at it and I was like, hold on. Just a sinking realization. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a sinking realization that like, wait a second. This is reality. I got to get out of here. Honestly. You know, I have to say as a black person growing up in the suburbs, because I primarily grew up in the suburbs, I had this, I had a similar experience where I was aware that I was black. I mean, Because when you're a minority in a lot of these, um, I was going to say cultural areas, but I guess they're not cultural (laughs) is the point. (laughs) Um, And it's really difficult because you're made to be aware that you, they're letting you know that you're Asian. They're letting you know that you're black. You can't escape it. Um, I remember being as er in, in kindergarten and thinking, 
oh my God, I'm black. And then having this, like, Mm -hmm. I want to be white and I didn't want to be white, but I wanted to be accepted. And to me, that's what that meant. And so I completely resonate with the Trump, you know, 2016 era, because it was almost like everything flipped on its head and Mm -hmm. you realized your community and everything that you were saturated in, like you could, it was so much more polarized and you couldn't unsee it. Right. No, for sure. And like how you said that, it's not that we didn't, we wanted to be white. It's just that we wanted to be accepted. And it's like, I seriously, up until like my junior, basically my senior year of high school, I was in this identity of, I was a, I was a school cheerleader. Like I, I wore, yeah. I literally got my name Lola from um, competitive cheer, but competitive cheer was separate from my school. And so that really wasn't like terrible. Honestly, I I have nothing but good memories for competitive cheer. I had no idea that you cheered or maybe I did know, but I forgot because dancers, (laughs) how many dancers and cheerleaders go to fit them? I mean, really, literally (laughs) everybody was either like super artsy or they were like a former cheerleader turned artsy. Uh (laughs) Yeah. No, like I was a cheerleader for like 10 years. Wow. So same. I danced. Yeah. I danced competitively (laughs) for a long time. Um, And it's interesting. Did you, did you ever apply to like a four-year school or did you just know you were going to fit them? No, I applied to four-year school. Okay. And um, it was Ohio University. And I actually went there for a month. (laughs) Oh, wow. I was there for a month and I was studying, um, I think I was a sociology major, psychology Same. Literally same. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I was there and like, I remember I was so miserable and it, it wasn't because I was facing bullying or anything. It was literally because I had just, you know, come to this realization that like, oh my God, everybody I went to high school with is racist. Right. And then four months later, I'm like, I'm basically, it felt like high school all over again because yep. by that time I was already hanging out with, you know, kind of older people I was I had already partied you know way before I got into college and so like seeing these kids like lose their mind for the first time yeah Yeah. (laughs) and I just realized like oh my god this is not for me and and then literally while I was like in my dorm I remembered that a girl from one of the other school districts that was like close to where I went to high school she went she moved to LA and went to like this fashion school and oh. I was like, okay, I never really knew what I wanted to do. I really didn't. Cause Same. like, they don't teach you about schools like fit um, in the suburbs. You oh, know what of I course mean? not. Oh yeah. 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 You're, you're like, supposed I, to get into the four years, right? do a good job. And I have yeah. to ask, was this the Ohio state university? This was not the Ohio. The Ohio. Okay. The reason I said that is because I was like, she's not, she's forgetting the V. I mean, they're very serious about that over there. Yeah, they're very serious about the V. And uh, no, this is Ohio. This is OU. This is in Athens. This is like, it's kind. It's seen as like the party school, basically. Got it. So I like went to the JMU. Ohio, yeah. Yep. And JMU was like the party school. You had UVA. Right. UVA is like where all the nerdy, smart kids yeah. go to. And then JMU was like the party school. So right. same, same. Same. Literally <laughs> the same. Yeah. But then um, I literally was just like, okay, fit them. Like, let me just like take a look at their website. And I took yeah. like a, a career quiz or something or like a same major here. quiz or something. And it gave me the major visual communications. And I had never wow. heard of, first of all, 
like by the time I went into high school freshman year, I had thrown out everything creative. Like I used to be a bedazzler. Like I used to really? bedazzle everything. Okay, so we're very we're like the same soul. I yeah. could rhinestone anything. I had at one point wanted to make an Etsy shop to make bo- hair bows. Like I was like anything crafty, like let me do that. No, like literally I had so many hair bows for cheerleading. Yeah. Like the competitive cheer bows and like oh, oh, but you yeah. know once once I got into high school, no there was no I guess support for any creative aspiration. So I was like, okay, I can't make money out of this. So I literally, I literally got voted uh, most creative in like eighth grade. I vividly remember that. So that's a really good story. You know, when I was talking to Miguel, I asked him, you know, his, like every, every creative has like a pivotal moment in their identity when it comes to having a creative career or pursuing that as a lifelong thing. I don't know. I feel like it's almost like a light bulb goes off and Miguel and his experience, his mom was a teacher. And so he was always around the arts and he always kind of had oh, this expression that, that was makes allowed. so much sense. Yeah. Doesn't it? And so it's interesting hearing that like, you were labeled the creative, like they saw it in you from a young age and you had to kind of go excavate some of that. Yeah. I really like honestly did. And then like, once I got, um, cause you know, the once after like you fill out that like quiz, they connect you with an advisor or something or like a counselor or something. And she reached out to me and I was like, you know what? Same here. I'm going to, I am going to do this. I was in a, like a pod or something in my dorm. And I, and I had heard in your first um, podcast that you were actually in a sorority, which is so yes. funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that was a big thing that kind of like tipped me over was Stop. the sorority girls that like lived in my pod because we were still, oh. still like rush week or something. Yes. And they, you know, they hadn't lived in, they hadn't gotten whatever accepted or you know into the, so they were still they, in the rush process yeah and they came to my door because by then I was already listening to the music that I listened to which you know but if people don't know I listen to like hardcore pop yeah. punk, deathcore metalcore things like that and they came into they came knocking on my door and I was already annoyed with <laughs> because they would leave the like the communal bathroom like a mess after getting oh, ready Lord. and things like that and they came knocking on my door and they were like hey we need, can you um, help us dress up for this rock and roll theme frat party? <gasps> Stop. And I am not kidding. The next day I went to the admissions office and I was like, I'm drawing from this university. <laughs> oh, but you know what? That is so interesting because it's such an insult. Like it's like a, a caricature, if you will, of it somebody's is. identity. It That's is. That's so interesting. And I do want to ask you about that. Well, one of the things I ask all of my guests is, what is your relationship to color? Because as a goth, I'm assuming that the only color you work with is black or you'd prefer yeah. to work with or identify with. So yeah. please explain that. So goth, there are so many people who identify as goth and they have so many different definitions of it. Right. And that's what I think is great about it. Some people are goth based on goth, specifically gothic music that they listen to. Um, some people are goth that don't wear all black, but they still identify as, a, you know, as goth. And I identify as like specific categories can go anywhere from like emo goth to e-girl goth. And uh, mine okay. is a specific um, fashion sense. Like I strictly only wear all black. Even when I'm at right. home, like my sleeping shirts, they're all black. But for me, I think um, my style was very heavily influenced by the music that I listened to. The music mm. that I listened to 
seriously saved my life. So I owe a great gratitude to that. And I think that's why it was so um, insulting to me right. because I know that a lot of people that listen to similar genres that I do because it's because of the lyrical substance that's in it. It talks right. about um, addiction. It talks about self-harm. It talks about suicide. It talks about all these things that we always feel so alone in. But then there is these songs that come out that lyrically explain like every single thing that's happening in our life and every single basically thought that's happening in our mind. Right. And so... Yeah. And for me, black is like a happy color. Like I feel so happy when I'm in black, but I, especially with my last internship, I learned that I'm fully capable of doing, you know, something totally outside of my aesthetic. Right. And And that's what I I think. I think that's beautiful because I remember going through fashion school. Like they, I mean, I don't know if you took color theory. I'm I'm assuming you did. (laughs) And they talk about how black is the absence of color. And it has to mean all of these things because psychologically, you know, there's so much that goes into color. And that's why I have this whole podcast about living life in color. But why I really was curious on hearing your perspective and your identity is you are very authentic. You're living your truth. And black is your color. Like that's how you identify. And it doesn't limit you from being able to express yourself or you know, work with color or yeah, create. No, and so I think that that's like, just so interesting. Was there a pivotal moment that you realized you were goth or was it just through the music over time? Like you said, I think it was like when I made a conscious decision to wear only black was when I was packing all of my things to move to LA. Stop and, it. And I was like, I intentionally left everything like any, even like denim, denim that was denim colored. Like I was like, or dark gray. I was like, I'm not, you know what? I'm a goth. Like and for the first time, like calling myself goth, I actually felt like a sense of like belonging in a certain way. Well, and And, I talked all about belonging in my first episode. So that's so interesting. Yeah. I think it's on, it definitely was influenced by the music that I listened to. I think, Mm -hmm. um, the music that I listened to has influenced everything. I mean, you've been in class with me. It influenced like half of my projects. If I'm allowed to use music as an inspiration for my projects, like that's what I would use it for. And so I think I was, you know, and still I hold music so dear to my heart and it's the reason I have so many tattoos and things like that. And so, right. It was like a self-expression of being like, hey, like, look at this band shirt. I wear this. I, you know, I listen to this kind of music. And it's kind of like an unspoken rule that when you see somebody with like a band shirt that, you know, that you identify with or that you listen to, you say like, hey, nice shirt. And it's like this like little sense of like community, because growing up in the school that I grew up in, you you were automatically labeled like the weird emo kid. Right. Right. You know, no flexibility. No, not at all. And I was a cheerleader pretending to listen to Little Wayne, but like I oh actually <laughs> I actually like these like heavy heavy bands or even not heavy bands, like pop punk bands, but it's like right. the only yeah, and so it didn't once, allow you to really express yourself until you no, had to throw yeah. stake into the ground. Yeah, not at all. And so anybody that, you know, even keeps tabs on me from high school, they would they don't recognize who I am basically because <laughs> So yeah, you I really fully embraced it. This. Yeah, I have fully, fully embraced it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing, though, because I think, you know, 
in my search for belonging, you mentioned the word belonging, which I found really powerful because I found belonging on my way to fashion school as well. And there is a very, I think, close dynamic between self-expression, styling, you know, how we dress ourselves and freedom in terms of our identity and belonging. And so, I mean, at fashion school, we saw all kinds of people dress in all kinds of ways. You had like puppy girls and, but there was no label for them. Um, I think, what do you, what is your take on that? I mean, think about the amount of um, things that are labeled now through internet culture. Like what is your take on everything being an aesthetic? (laughs) I think in terms of like the trend cycle, I don't think it's sustainable. Right. You know what I mean? Because I think it's not, it's not good to, you know, that Hailey Bieber can like wear brownie lips or whatever, but like got it. girls have been wearing that, you know, forever. And it's right. Just, you know, things well, like that. I, I don't think that's good. That's what I find really interesting because I think when you think about algorithm, you know, this kind of like manufactured electronic process that is is literally impacting our mental health. It's impacting the way we see ourselves and the way we think about things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard about blueberry milk nails. Oh, yeah. It's, well, isn't <laughs> I don't have TikTok. <laughs> like, I refuse to get TikTok. Yeah, it's so, light like, blue nails. It, yeah, it's, isn't it just light blue nails? Light blue. And now, you know, big media companies, blueberry milk nails are in. And I'm like, right. what? I think just because of my specific aesthetic is so rooted in the music that I listen to and the whole, I guess, alternative goth girls or goth, you know, people have been kind of always the like the outsiders, the weirdos. Like, I guess we don't really care, (laughs) you know, like it honestly all goes back to the music that I listen to. The music that I listen to is very much like it's very much be yourself. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> fuck, fuck anyone else. Like, right. do what makes you happy. And fuck any organized religion. Fuck any gender rules. Fuck right. any societal rules. Like, do what makes you happy. And we're going to do that while also, if that along the way makes people uncomfortable, then now they know how we felt trying to, you know, push ourselves into these yeah molds. Like, I felt so uncomfortable now that I'm looking back at it when I was forcing myself to listen to the music that everybody else was listening to and to force myself into you know Lululemon and like oh my god things like that and like Victoria like the pink Victoria's Secret yoga pants oh, and the yeah. Uggs and it's like in the North Face and I'm like why was I doing that I would beg my mom to spend all this amount of money on these kind of expensive like you know clothes yeah. For what? Like <laughs> for me to like not be right. included into the prom group or right. like for me, you know what I mean? So it was right. And yeah, I find that so bad. I find that super interesting and honestly really relatable to my story. I was a dancer in high school. I danced competitively on the high school dance team. And I, my self-expression has always been pretty relative to who I am. Like I always, even in high school was like, I would like dress up. Like I learned very early on, like if I put on a suit to do this presentation, I'm going to get a better grade. Like I knew how to like, okay, I may not be the smartest in the room, but like, let me just get the optics together. So, I mean, my self-expression has definitely gotten more playful and colorful and more me as I've grown up. But to your point, a lot of people misunderstand goth culture. They don't understand it. It doesn't align with 
like you said, gender roles and the way women are supposed to express themselves. Something I noticed too, and what I also want to talk to you about is, do you find LA has a very dark energy? Um, Like spiritually? I think spiritually, I think there's a glamorization. We, I know we've talked about this before, the glamorization of fame and money. And I call it right. the Kardashian trickle effect, actually, yeah. because it's just so easy to get sucked in. And no, LA is the home it, of entertainment. And it's almost like things are never as they appear. Right. And that's something that I was not expecting to impact my identity, but it definitely did. And I'm interested to hear your story with that. Um, I think I definitely do see that energy, but I think just because, you know, when I moved here, I was already pretty bringing into my goth identity. I wasn't going to these like clubs and these like influencer heavy places. Got it. That you knew who you were. Right. That had that kind of energy. I think definitely if you come to LA, either confused on your sense of self or looking for that kind of like influencer, Mm -hmm. you know kind of validation then yeah it's definitely gonna you know weigh down on you but I think for me LA has honestly been like LA has been a savior for me in terms of like just a place to live because for me like it's I didn't ever move to LA to like make it like to ever be like famous or anything like that like I didn't have that expectation I moved to LA because from I think middle school I said I wanted to move to LA because they had the they had little Tokyo. Like I could get stupid right. here, you know what I mean? Right. And so it's culture. like the little things. Yeah, just yeah. literal like culture. And it just even now, like it warms my heart to like go to like a store and I see, you know, so many different races and ethnicities just like literally walking. They don't have to be like oh, holding yeah. hands and like singing in a circle or anything. But For just sure. like to see more diversity just makes me so happy because I'm like, oh my God, I didn't grow up with that and obviously you know LA still has racism just like anywhere else and things like that but I think people don't especially people born and raised in LA don't realize that like where I grew up there wasn't enough racism for there to be an issue exactly it was just normal (laughs) yeah it was just normal and even if I had like the afterthought to maybe oh maybe I should have called them out on it there would have been nobody to back me up even right. like my parents who right. kind of you know have grown up around that at that they're point trying they, to blend in too yeah they're trying to blend in too and so I think that in terms of the dark energy that you you know talked about that yeah. I personally got affected by was like I think the party culture for yeah. sure, you know. Well, let me just say this. I love your take on that because something that I really had to oh gosh, massage into towards the end of my LA experience Ooh. was it is what you make it. Like right. you have to consciously put yourself in places where you are around uplifting people or positive yeah. people or, you know, like for example, when I first went to college, partying was just like a thing that we did. And then when you look hindsight, you can kind of go, okay, every weekend, three times a week. I mean, that's a, that can be a lot, right? And in LA, that's a slippery slope. Right. That's a slippery slope. So I, you know, I, I've spoken about this to you before. I slid down that slope, but you know, I, I think you need to have like, basically, you know, just to, so people aren't confused. I'm two years sober. I'm almost two years sober. And so I got kind of like, I guess, influenced in that kind of a negative way is when I did used to hang out at those like influencer kind of clubs, like those clubs in like West Hollywood and like those clubs where it's like 
the bouncer judges what you're wearing oh, or how pretty you are. God. And it's like, go through the places where everybody is self-medicating. Every single person in there is self-medicating. And so, and you know, you have to self-medicate too. And so I think that energy, I think is like super glamorized. I think the whole like, oh, we all have minor alcoholism, but it's like cute, you know, but it's not. And it's not (laughs) even minor. It's like major. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like five years, 10 years down the line, maybe like four out of the five friend group, they'll be fine. But one person is going to be like still in a hole. because of that. And they're the ones that have to make like a really hard choice. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really easy to get sucked into the culture. I, it took me a while to realize that I was better off at home Mm -hmm. (laughs) than out. And that was hard, like as an extrovert and as somebody who like, again, was seeking that belonging, seeking that connection, like it really forced me to find it within myself because Mm -hmm. you're right. It, um, kind of chews you up and spits you out sometimes. I used to classify myself as an extrovert because I would go out so much and like things like that. But I'm just like, and when I, you know, meet somebody, I can't, you know, I'm very personable and I can like get Mm -hmm. to know them and whatever. But I think like at my core, like when I'm like actually alone with my thoughts and things like that and my feelings, it's like, I am an, I'm an extroverted introvert. You know what I mean? Like I would prefer to like stay in first and foremost I hated the music they were playing in there right like the whole thing was just not you yeah that was unbearable to me and like so even if it's a you know even if I go out to like a normal sober place if like I'm Mm -hmm. very much I know that I'm very hard-headed in terms of my music taste yeah and so like you know I've always said that find your community yeah I've always said that like the best night out for me is if I could go to a show every single night, that's fine. Because like the shows that I go to, yeah, people drink and stuff, but it's not like this whole, like you don't have like all this time before the show and in between the sets to like go drink and smoke and hang out. Like anybody there, you're there because you paid at most 50 bucks for a ticket. And that's that's not bad. And so, but these are all artists that sing about really deep, deep, like traumatic shit that you really related to. And so when you go there, nobody's just like messing around. Everybody's there listening to the music, sing along, and that's it. You go home. Right. (laughs) It's almost like because it's more aligned to you, you don't feel inclined to be somebody or not in terms of drinking or substance abuse or... yeah all the things that you've detached from your identity, it's yeah. easier to say no and, and just to be yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I also appreciate that, like, in, I think it's a kind of old fashioned um, view on like anything like rock related. People are like, oh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it's like, it's really not that. It's like, so different. Yeah. It's so different now. Actually, like the specific genre, like hardcore, a lot of them and the bands, they're all straight edge, which means they don't do anything. They don't do anything. Oh, wow. And a lot of them, you know, maybe are even like weird about coffee too. Wow. And so they're, it's like a, it's like a thing. Like hardcore. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge genre. And I, I, yeah. I think that's something people don't understand because you're right. Like I recently got into Motley Crue. I think I watched like some documentary and I was like that's so true. upset. I was obsessed with Motley Crue for like yeah. two weeks, like researching yeah. them and the amount of <laughs> drug use yeah, and alcohol. Like use. that's yeah. what got me interested because I was like, how did they survive? <laughs> yeah. I can see what you're saying about the stigma of just anything like rock related yeah and i think especially because you know rock music in the past too like 
even the artists they're kind of seen as like troubled even like grunge stuff like Kurt Cobain and things like that yes they're oh all they, they are all self-medicating and so yes. it's like when you mix actual depression actual PTSD to the point where they're singing songs that are really hard for like normal people to listen to plus right. substances right it's guaranteed it's to dark end one way and that's yeah. it you know what you I mean you know I watched Kurt Cobain's biography he had there was this I think it's on HBO I don't even recommend it because it was so dark that it le- it like left me haunted for three days like the amount of things he was going through right. by himself yeah like I yeah. It's dark, you know, yeah, and so, no. but he's a genius. And so it was this yeah. really interesting paradox of like loving his music, loving his, mm, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there didn't need to be lyrics all the time. Like he really could think on this like different planar level yeah. and it was the addiction, the addiction, the depression, the yeah. perfect storm, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, the music, like I have so much gratitude for the music that I listen to and like nothing for me will like ever beat like being at a show and singing along to these lyrics that have like literally saved my life and with mm. like hundreds of other people who have also who have also gone through something that I thought I was going through just by myself and they're yeah. all singing and like everybody's like crying and like holding back tears and I'm just like mm. Ugh, I don't need a drug <laughs> like I literally don't yeah. need a drug like this is That's it right amazing. here amazing so you found on a very deep level something that grounds you in terms of connection. I find that really beautiful because I think a lot of people struggle to find it or, and this is what I find interesting. Oh, this is what I was going to say earlier. I learned something recently about substance abuse and I shouldn't, I hate to say abuse. Like, you know, a lot of times it comes from this really deep place of struggle, you know, in our, I'm learning. So call it abuse. (laughs) Okay. All right. So substance abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming um, from like a former addict, you can call it substance abuse. Okay. I never know <laughs> like sure. the correct terms, but yeah, it may, something I recently learned was that a lot of times people in recovery are people who are feeling their feelings and it clicked for me. Like our whole society can be, is not, not even can be, is dysfunctional and it is probably more dysregulating to pretend to be normal than to lean into the reality that like this, not everything doesn't feel like me. And that I think is the weight for a lot of people. Maybe you're the black sheep of the family. Maybe you struggle with addiction. Like there's this, this weight of none of this is me, but everything about our society supports like pushing past it and just finding a way to be normal. Exactly. And I think like, you know, especially in terms of like alcohol, I think societally, it's not even just like, you know, in America, like I come from Japan where like drug usage is very low. Like you, the, you know, the amount of jail time you can get for a little bit of weed, it's a lot. So it's not worth it for anybody, but like the alcoholism and like how it's like so glamorized and especially here where it's, where it's like the wine moms and like like that. And I'm just like, you're self-medicating you know what I mean? And yeah. so like, and but like our how culture talking, supports it. So yeah, it's like, how do you say, it. right. It's like screaming and nobody listens. Right. Because it's like, it's so normalized. 
it's so normalized and like you know when you turn 21 everybody's like oh you can drink and all of that stuff and it's just like I'm not trying to sound like you know those like dare officers or anything I don't think so I don't think so I think your message is very real and I think it's hard to say real things in our society like you said where again it's so glamorized and um I would say in terms of pathology, like in terms of family systems and how that trickles down to capitalism or trickles up to capitalism and all of these larger systems we're in, everything you're saying is, I think, what we're moving through. Like the whole world is moving through this, hey, should I really be drinking? Do I need to drink every single weekend? Like maybe I could just have a mocktail and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. culture of mocktails and like I really do think we're shifting in a lot of those ways too. I think especially with like the rise of even, you know, even if it is kind of like capitalist spirituality, you know, everybody's carrying a crystal and things like that. I'm like, but Mm -hmm. at least people are trying to turn to something that's not a substance. Yes. And obviously there are people in the spiritual community who also, you know, take psychedelics and things like that. And that's a whole other thing. Right. Right. We're specifically talking about like substance abuse. And I think like, I saw like an interview with, I think, Mac Miller, who had said, like, I used to think that you were more interesting if if you were using all these substances and you were this depressed. It made you Mm -hmm. more interesting. It made you create better art. And he's like, but it's not. It doesn't. And it's like, it's true. It doesn't. You know what I mean? But that is so powerful because that's something I think I struggle with sometimes when I'm working on my work is I don't, I mean, I don't want to be depressed, but sometimes I feel like gosh, this artist or that artist, like they're so connected so deeply. And then sometimes you look on the surface and it's like, there's so much dysfunction. And I don't want to label or point the finger or become um, a hater, I guess, like in terms of like, like over labeling things. But a lot of times in the creative space, there just is a lot of substance abuse. And so it can be difficult to feel connected to yourself and create the work like in due time. Like I don't, I have my whole life to create the work that I want to create. I don't need to figure it out now at 20. Yeah. No, you don't do that. You don't like seriously. The amount of times that I did take drugs because I thought it was going to make me more productive or whatever. Yeah. And now that I am going on two years sober, I'm like, I can't believe that I thought this was making me more productive. I I feel like the title of this episode now should be about detachment, you know, detaching from all the things that aren't you. And then also the riveting freedom that comes from that. Yeah. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy to label, oh, I want to be authentic or what's authentic and you should be authentic. And our culture really does not even support authenticity. I mean, truly, especially in this like individualistic society where you're on your own, you know, figure it out by yourself. And so I think it's amazing that your journey is raw. There's no, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. And then I ended up here. Like it's real. Everybody, anybody who's really doing the work knows that sometimes it's two steps forward and like eight steps back. Yep. That's and exactly so, how but that's life. But that's, that's life. life. Are you still doing fashion styling? Like that's your that's still your dream job in the industry. Yeah, it's my dream job in the industry. Specifically, it's to be a freelance stylist for the bands that I listen to. Um, Amazing. To even be working at like specifically Kerrang. Um, they are a 
magazine and they're located in the UK and it is like an alternative <gasps> music magazine. And actually for one of my, um, for the, our portfolio project where we had to interview somebody from the industry, I actually interviewed um, somebody from Parade through Zoom. Oh, that's amazing. It was just like, I don't know, just because it's all, it all comes back to like music for me. I think yep. at the end of the day, yep. it's really like, seriously, like my music has saved my life. It continues to save my life. And so mm. like, if I could do anything to like be a part of that, to even in kind of like a, you know, a trickle effect, like inadvertently support these artists that can then yeah. support whoever is in their bedroom, like locked up in there. And the only thing they have is the music that would yeah. mean the world to me. Honestly. Yeah. You want to be a part of building the community that has yeah. saved you and has brought you so much meaning to your life. I think that's really cool. And I think that's such a cool niche to get involved in, especially because I had no idea that there was you know, an editorial space for right. alt. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know why, again, it goes back to the misconceptions of goth right. culture exactly. and not understanding the layers. Yeah. Definitely. And the UK has a lot of that. I feel like, I don't know. The have UK you heard about does. like ID Dave yeah, yeah. magazine? Yeah, yeah, no, the UK has like so much of that. And honestly, like even like my, you know, cause I do want to start off as like an e-commerce um, stylist. Okay. But like all of these brands, I'm like, you guys are in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Explain that. Explain what e-commerce styling is for people that don't understand. Because I don't um, even e think I do. <laughs> e-commerce styling is you don't have as much creative freedom as editorial it. styling. It's basically commercial styling. So, oh, right, right, it's, right. so it's just, you know, styling or even if, if it's not even actually styling, but you're more just like steaming and putting the models in the clothes so they can be uploaded onto the website. But maybe they do... Maybe, you know, like, I don't know, like Zara. They, they do, sure. they have like their pictures of the models on the website. So you can right. shop, but they also have the kind of editorial-ish looking ones. For, right, like, for the, the banners. And things and, and like that. Yeah, yeah. For the so, yeah. Instagram. Okay, that's so, cool. Yeah, to be so you're basically all of that. You're basically on a set. That's yes. what it kind of looks like. And you're styling, yeah. styling, model after model after model for a few days. I'm sure it's something like that, right? Yeah, it's something like that. And obviously, like, the prep work that goes in, because you're not um, freelance, you're not, like, pulling from showrooms or anything like that, but you are still steaming clothes, making sure the clothes don't get damaged. And, you know, for my internship, I was lucky enough to do a lot of their um, environmental styling, basically. Um, yes, explain that. I, so environmental styling is literally anything from product styling, like all those skincare bottles that you see in mm -hmm. ads to um, any clothes that's not on an actual person, whether it's right. flat lays or it's on a mannequin or it's on a figure or things like right. that. And so I was lucky enough to do all of that. For, oh, that's um, amazing. And it was honestly amazing because like the company had like this big prop closet and I had all these backgrounds and had all these different fake plants and oh like, my God, that's the these, best like jewelry and things like that. I'm like, Oh my God, where was this when I was in environmental style? Exactly. Cause I loved that class. Was that your favorite yeah. class at Fitum? Um, fashion styling was fashion styling. Think, okay. See, I yeah. couldn't stand fashion styling. I was talking to Miguel about this. We both yeah. were like, uh, we can't do fashion styling, but yeah. product <laughs> styling, environmental, like, designing the set of a room I think that also kind of touches set design in movies yeah. and studios and things like that yeah. as well and 
I love that because the props can't talk. There's no yeah. drama. <laughs> I don't have to return things. No, I like, guess if you go to a big prop warehouse, then you might have right. to return things. But no, I totally feel that. I think the only thing was like, you know, I did like eight, I would do eight hour days of just flat lays. Oh and my gosh. Just because the specific company that I worked with, they do a lot of resort wear. And so yeah. it's a lot of flowy, like non, it's oversized stuff that doesn't have a lot of structure. Oh, got it. Trying to flat lay that stuff. I was going to say. I literally would have bruises on my knees because I'm just like on my knees and elbows trying to like make sure like, you know, this didn't blow away or like this like did increase or things like that. And like, yeah, and so I, I think it was that folding. I didn't even think I, about all the folding you had to do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like the eight hour of being on my hands and knees right. for like, you know, a few days a week that I was like, oh my God. That's yeah. so cool though. I think I like that because I feel like, I mean, I have a desk job right now. It's primarily like, you know, sitting at a desk. I'm doing a lot of graphics. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's computer work basically strictly. Yeah. And some days I'm like, I would take folding, <laughs> like being hands-on yeah, for, for sure. the mix, you know? I think that's why I really appreciated my internship because there were some days where I was filling out an Excel sheet that would go yeah. on for like three work days. And then there was another time where they did a very small shoot in the parking lot of the company. And I literally built a small beach set, basically. Oh, that's so cool. And you, you know? were, it sounds like you got to have creative freedom because were you working with a team or was it just you it was literally just me i mean like i would ask the manager you know if she wanted new flat lanes it's like okay are there specific items that you want me to use so that they can post it and you know she can she'll send me like some maybe like pinterest inspiration pics pictures of like the kind of vibe that she wanted from the pictures but other than that mm-hmm. there was nobody you know i would be alone oh, for like that. eight hours And I would just be like going back and forth from the pop closet to the, um, it was called the magic room. And that's where we would, you know, shoot and things like that. Yeah. And like, that's the best. Yeah. That's the best. And for you to have it all, because I feel like what companies, and this is what I'm really going to get into in my next solo episodes. I've been earmarking in my mind, all of these things, but a lot of companies, you know, when you do branding or you do big projects, they have their hand in every single decision in the color that you chose for the corner of the picture. Yeah. And and I'm like, if you want your brand to soar, you have to let the creatives be creative. Like, yeah, we just need days where we're not really doing meetings and a bunch of like, remedial work we need to just like let our mind wander and that's where all the good stuff comes from so that's so cool to hear that you had a good experience no I honestly like cannot say enough good things about this company that I work Mm -hmm. for like it it was so laid back in terms of just like you could take your lunch whenever you wanted like you know and it was like okay we want flat lays of these specific items that's it and like I would literally just spend like five hours on Pinterest I totally would have stayed at the company if, you know, it was a little bit more my aesthetic or right. if they had an actual, um, like, stylist role. Got it. There was no yelling, company, no, no abuse, not, no passive aggression, nothing. Wow. Like, Were they nothing. millennials? Um, yes. Yeah. See, millennial bosses are so amazing. No, millennial bosses are, like, amazing. Dude, they're so <laughs> understanding. It's yeah, like, they're, wow. they're amazing. And <laughs> I think like 
I think it also helped that like like they had their own prop closet. You know what I mean? And yes. so all of the props, because it's I think you know I've heard some of my friends that are expected to make these like content for the company that they are hired in and contracted in, but it's like they have to supply all these props. I'm like props cost a lot of money, even if you're going Wait, to Goodwill. They have so they're employed by the company and they're buying props out of their own paycheck. Yeah, like the company's like we don't have props. Right. Like you're the creative. So figure it out yeah. all by yourself. Yeah. So like bring props oh, from no. home or something. And I'm just like, no, no but, way. You know. So there was, it seems like there was a solid budget. You had a good supportive team behind you. Yep. They provided everything you needed to get your job done. I mean, that really is a dream, especially in LA. I feel like yeah. I, I hear that with the styling industry you know, how people are getting used, how, yeah. how people are, the assistant is putting down their credit card for the whatever belt. Like, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Like, it's not, you can't, like, I don't even apply to, I can't, be, especially because the company that I worked at, it's not this like humongous multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah. And I've seen how well they can treat me. They can right. pay me. And they're making and how profit. Great, <laughs> yeah. Without, you know, you know what I mean? Exploiting right. Without anybody. dehumanizing you. And think about that. I mean, because I know a lot of, I have, I've all my internships so far have been, I've been the one man creative team and um, I've had good support. You know, I have a pretty good meter when it comes to like what kind of job I'm willing to put myself in or, you know, uh, apply for. And so I've, I've been treated fairly well, um, but it is on more of the corporate side. So I think when you go into those freelance opportunities or, you start working or assisting, you can, it's hard to read some of those people, especially in LA. I find that when I work alone, you are expected sometimes to make the rabbit come out of the hat. And so for you to have this incredible experience, you know, you get to stand on your work, they're supporting you. You, You can make mistakes. I mean, that's really ideal. I think for anybody, even in the creative industry or not, like just to be able to have that leeway. Yeah. So it was honestly. And it sounds like like you were more productive for them. That was my other point. Like when we have support as creatives, we're more productive because it feeds our soul. It's not really about the money, even though, yes, we need to get paid (laughs) and fairly. But it sounds like because you loved it and because you had support, you ended up producing so much more work for them in a more authentic kind of quality. Like I didn't think that I could enjoy you know, it really tested me. Like, cause yeah. it's easy for you to create content that's your own aesthetic. Like anybody right. can do that. And- but that's so amazing. And I feel like now, I mean, I, I appreciate even you said like, you know, I was leaving to go to something that's more towards my aesthetic or more towards my dream, because I do think that we have a responsibility to follow our dreams, you know, even if something gets safe or something feels comfortable. Um, so that's cool that you have all of this that you can take to right. the, alt brands or all of these things that you want to be doing it diversified my portfolio like for for sure sure. for sure i only had like you know goth stuff yeah like now in your resume yeah and so this i honestly can't say enough good things about the company and like if anybody ever wants to work there i cannot give enough good words about them like what's the name what's the name the name is tiche it's spelled t-y-c-h-e okay Amazing. That's actually good for a lot of FITM listeners and anybody that, yeah. you know, gives a little recommendation. 
because now they probably have a good repertoire with the FITM people, which is great. Yeah, which is good. So I'm just like, you know, make sure you're actually a good worker because they deserve it. Right. (laughs) If you're going to apply there. But I'm not surprised because your energy is very you. It's very authentic. (laughs) You're bright, you're cheerful, and you're determined. Like you're not somebody who's BSing. So I'm not surprised that you, (laughs) I'm not surprised that you connected authentically and found something that was the same way. That's amazing. Yeah. They were honestly so great. Every single one of them. So to wrap it up really quickly, Uh how I have one more question. Yeah. How are you fostering meaningful connections in the industry? I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, I go out to these networking events because I don't. Yeah. I really don't. I think... (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm very like I am a very spiritual person and I'm Mm -hmm. very much like whoever's meant to cross my path I'm meant to cross paths with and I'm also very good at like kind of not judging a book by its cover but in terms of just like I am an empath so like when I meet somebody I can kind of tell by their energy yeah you know just like their authenticity and things like that and I think in terms of that I think I just try to you know, do just like the minimum things. Like yeah. you follow them on social media, follow them, add them on LinkedIn and like things like that. And then obviously in terms of like people I've actually been able to work with, um, like my internship, I made sure I ended on great terms with them and they have, yeah. you know, I've already asked the manager to be a reference for another position that I applied to and she was like totally fine with it. You know, the biggest industry experience that I've got to have aside from the internship was FITM. And yeah. so I think definitely like, you know, when you're given an opportunity like to go to a fashion school, I get that it can be clicky, especially if you're coming straight out of high school, you're still in that high school mindset. And that's mm-hmm. just something for you to grow out of. But I think it, it is important for you to make friends, make connections. Don't don't automatically think of think people as like transactional, basically. Yeah. Don't, yeah. you know, because I feel like in the industry, they always teach you like, Oh, always stay friends with people because you never know what they're going to get you basically in the future. Right. And it's like, that's not a, you know, a good piece of advice. way to, yeah. like, you know, make relationships because then you're just going to have all these shallow connections. And I'm sorry, yeah. but even if I have a shallow connection, if I have just a shallow connection with somebody, I'm not going to want to help them professionally. Right. If I want to help somebody professionally, it's because I know them, I'm friends with them and that's it. That's good advice. And- Yeah, that's really good advice because I, that was my challenge with LA. I think I was, it was so hard for me when I moved there because I was on this transcendent experience in my personal life. And I was like, this is me and I'm going to do me. And then you start, you know, delegating and like running into all of these like transactional experiences. And I'll admit that I spent way too much time trying to figure out what they meant. Like, Mm. just move on. Hi, yeah, how are no. you? Like, you don't have to sit and absorb Trust, it and process yeah, it. You don't. Like, keep going. And I think you're right about building a community. It's okay if it's surface level, but you're not obligated to be anything for anybody. And that's and how it, your real network builds. Exactly. And I think, like, especially when you are in a school like FITM, I have faith that everybody that I'm friends with, and I believe that everybody that I'm friends with, whether it's you, Miguel, like everybody that I was in class with and everybody that I'm still connected to, like we're all going to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, that's just like an added bonus that yeah. maybe one you know day that I'll get to help style for you guys and things like that. Yes. But before that, it's like the friendship. I, right. It's the friendship and then the added bonus. So I think like when you're at a place like FitUp, it's a given that 
the people that you become friends with are going to be successful. So why not like actually harvest those friendships? I remember like seeing something that like on LinkedIn that the only thing nobody's going to remember your position or things like that. The only thing that they're going to remember is how you made them feel. Yep. Just be decent to people. I know that it's common in LA culture, especially with the influencer, you know, arena. Yes. Yes. That it's all very like, oh, you were in my video. Then yeah, it's so serviceable. And it's like, let them do that. You know what I mean? Like whatever, let them do that. Like you didn't come here to be an influencer to begin with. And even if you did, why do you have to be like all the other influencers? Exactly. That's very saturated. Be like one of the authentic ones. And then your followers on top of it, won't bail because you made like one mistake Mm -hmm. one like you know forgivable mistake yeah amazing advice because I think that that's what a lot of people and look this is a human issue I think when you're in high school you go through that struggle of authenticity and who am I and what do I do but the let them that was the most powerful thing that I heard you just say let them let people be who they are let them show you who they are you don't have to be that way yeah you're allowed to change course like Ugh. letting people be because I think the most that I was around people that were making these like service level transactional relationships yeah. was when I was going to these like clubs. Yes. And things like because my friend at the time, he was a DJ at these clubs. So I was like, okay, let me, you know, pretend to be friendly with these people right, so right. I can get into their table. And I'm just like, oh right. my gosh, none of this matters. <laughs> right. Right. Literally, I can't remember a single one of their names. Yeah. You know, yeah. four years later. So yeah. it's just like let them. Literally yeah, let, let them. them. Amazing advice. And I think a key takeaway here from having you on the podcast and this whole episode is it is always going to be easier to be yourself. And dig deeper really. into who you are. Yeah, like, you know, mm. the only way to it is through it. I fully yeah. believe that. So whether you're, I, I, it's like, I know it's uncomfortable to like sit by yourself while everybody's out. Yeah. And like distract themselves by posting all these stories and things like that. And it's just like, that's okay. You know, don't yeah. look at the stories. Just sit with yourself, do whatever it is, whether it's, you know, go get something to eat, play with your pet, just do that. And just like get more used to being with yourself. Right. Because it's like at the end of the day, that's all you have. Mm. Well, I think we can end there. All right, guys, kind of an abrupt ending there, but I think she really said it all in that ending quote. That was it. I just was like, you know what? We're going to end right there. There's nothing else that needs to be said. You heard it all from her. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out by saying we have new episodes that release every Friday. So I'll see you next Friday. Bye, guys.